let me just back it up a little bit for everyone. And if my voice sounds aggro, it's because my position is passionate. Are you would are you getting like Jack's level aggressive right now? I feel like you're getting like roidy. You're listening to Pop Apologist, and today we dive into it all, like nannies everywhere being forced to quarantine with their bosses during coronavirus. I reveal my own nanny nightmare spent in the south of France that led to a dramatic transatlantic rescue mission by Deb and a 14-year-old Chandler. Chan wistfully recounts her LA life and identity coming to a close this week. We offer our thoughts on VPR, and I offer a potentially unhinged defense of Jax Taylor, followed up by our reactions to the Tom Girardi Hot or Not poll on Instagram. Buckle in, baby. Well, 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 we're here, episode eight. You know what we have to stop doing? We have to stop saying, oh my gosh, we got to episode eight. We got to episode nine. Who could have thought? I mean, it doesn't instill very much faith in her audience that we're we're shocked that we even make it to this episode. Totally. And it's like, listen, folks, we're committed. We're the pop apologists. We're going to get to episode a million. Okay? We will defy death. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, but we're going to certainly try. We will defy death (laughs) to bring people pop apologists. We will bring bring people pop apologists from beyond the crematorium. You heard it here. Wow, from beyond the grave. Yeah, exactly. Well, what what are we talking about this week? Um, I know. What are we talking about this week? We've got, we're trying to mix up the content, you know, keep you guys on your toes. We want everyone to be able to enjoy what we're talking about. And we also don't want to talk about shows if the vast majority of our audience doesn't actually watch them. Because I know I have suffered through being around conversations with friends where they're talking about a show that I have no idea what they're talking about. And anyway, we're thinking of just branching out, going broader with our topics. Yeah, I think Bravo isn't the only thing we're interested in and isn't the only thing we, you know, call each other at 9am every morning to talk about. So we're just going to, you know, keep it open and just sort of chat about whatever's fascinating to us that week. Speaking of calling at 9am, Chandler, you called me at 7.30am this morning. I am sorry that I called you at 7.30am, but I had already had a full day by the time it was 7.30am. I currently have two children sleeping in my bedroom. I'm currently in my childhood bedroom and Courtney is here visiting and her two children are sleeping in my room. It's a delight. It's really fun. But it also means that I wake up at 6am and take care of, you know, a six-year-old and a three-year-old. So I'd already had a full day. Didn't feel like it was the worst. Also, I was calling you for the record, everyone. I was calling Lauren to see if she wanted me to bring her a Starbucks. I wasn't just calling her, you know, to berate her about something. I was literally just asking her if she wanted a free beverage. Courtesy of Courtney's wallet. (laughs) Didn't they give it to you for free? Yeah, but it was free to you. So it wasn't courtesy. It was courtesy of Howard Schultz's wallet, not Courtney Gross. Well, Courtney did pay for the original drinks, which led to the free drinks. So you want to split hairs over free drinks because I'm (laughs) long past those days. I will just say I ate so much food yesterday. And so because I ate so much food, I had the most glorious sleep. And 7.30am, I'm knocked out still like I had taken 10 Ambien I mean I don't even take Ambien but I assume this is the level of knocked out I would have been I felt incredible and just was in the deepest slumber and then I just hear 
And I, and Kagan sleeping next to me. Yes, we do. You know, we are living in sin, people. And so Kay, I pick up the phone, and Chandler's like, "Hey, what's going on? I have a nice coffee. Do you want it?" And it was it was a nice offering, but I Kagan was sleeping next to me, so I was like, "What? What is happening?" You and literally it, you sounded like a mouse across the country. You sounded like you were under hostage. You you sounded like you were being held hostage by some sort of kidnapper and all I want to do is bring you a free iced coffee sorry well I just thought if you're calling me at 7 30 a.m because generally you're not awake then like something has happened what emergency has happened I literally picked up the phone because I was like what if something happened to Lewis I'm so sorry like I know that that's actually a very big trigger for our family and we can't actually ever text each other the words call me call me Oh my gosh. Because it sends all me, myself, Courtney, and Lauren into a full spiral that something bad has happened. Totally. Just the two words, call me, just mm-hmm. call me. It is like, what is going on? What is like, who's in the emergency room? Who has a death threat against them? Who has cancer? Your mind spirals. Definitely. Or on the lower end of the spectrum, it's like, are you, oh, you're super mad at me. In my opinion. Yeah. Or super mad at me, which is honestly probably where we go first. Yeah. One time, either you or Courtney texted me and said, call me 911. And it was not a 911 situation. And I think I have never been more upset and just like sent into more of a blind rage by a text message in my entire life. That is actually one of the cruelest things you can do to a sister to call me 911 they better be digging a grave to put someone Mm -hmm. in it because that's how that like Miranda Bailey says there better be a tag on the toe before you this episode (laughs) has a lot of depth for like the first 10 minutes so yeah so anyway how have you been this week I have been great I have been doing very well It feels like COVID-19 is over for me. It feels like California is basically reopening with masks. I have this feeling like it's over. So I'm hoping we're getting back to normal life. I'm hoping I can go get dinner with Kagan and with friends. I mean, it's really sad, but honestly, like I saw that South Coast Plaza is reopening on June 1st and I'm just, and I felt like I was getting physically turned on like my body was having tingles with the idea of standing in line at Nordstrom in person to return something we're back to returns or to purchase something I'm so excited about being in public life again I will never take it for granted truly you should not I'm so sick of my only retail experience being Target Target. I've seen Everything there is, po- I've seen everything <laughs> that store has to offer six times. I've looked at the same shirt and thought, maybe I should buy this. And then refrained, luckily, because I've just realized that I'm doing it out of desperation because I miss shopping so much. Mm-hmm. And I don't think of myself as like this shop till you drop shopaholic. Kind of yeah. I am. I yeah. am. I love to shop. I love to run my hands across some crop tops in Brandy Melville. I like to look at the chokers and look at the stupid graphic tees. I love to shop and I'm just ready to embrace this about myself. Now, obviously COVID-19 is still very real and out there. So I don't want to come across as insensitive, but I am excited for when it's safe to do to return back to shopping and the retail experience. If you have any guess as to who is the better person on this podcast, it's the person who issues the politically correct disclaimers, you know, once every 10 minutes. So thank you, Chandler, for bringing us that message. Yeah, no, of course. I'm happy to keep this podcast from getting canceled. 
Yeah. No, coronavirus is still a thing, but public life is beginning again. And I think that what's interesting, and I hope we can take this with us, is just the joy of just being able to be around other people all the time. I used to consider myself an introvert. I actually don't really think I am anymore. I think like the joy of just being able to go to a public place, to stand in a line, to grab dinner with friends, to like swap saliva essentially with society. That is, I oh. mean, yeah, it's kind of a cringy thing, but that's essentially what we're doing. We get so close to strangers all the time. And you know what? It feels good. It feels good. Swap. And I can't wait to do it again. Swap saliva with society. That's something I hope I never do. <laughs> Ever, okay, that's like your twenties. Let's be honest. That's I definitely mean, your. That's definitely my twenties. My twenties are almost over, but that's definitely my twenties. And I would say, what do you? Is it yours? I mean, I'll be honest. I have swapped saliva with lots of society. Most of society. <laughs> um, but that sort of phraseology is just something I will never own up to ever again. That's what we're doing when we're sitting a foot away from someone. I mean, never again will will we underestimate the power of a droplet, right? Like I didn't realize that around me people were spewing droplets yes. at all times. But now that's what I mean. Like I understand this. Now I am walking through a rain of droplets on any given day. I can to tell you that you're a little too close to me because I can feel your droplets. <laughs> totally. Well, I also want to say, I think that we won't take for granted normal life anymore, which actually is a gift of coronavirus. Um, another gift of it, though, is I think it's fun. It's fun to have times that you know you won't forget. Like, I know I'll never forget walking into Target standing in line to get into Target and then walking in and it feels like a graveyard. It feels like a ghost town. There's just all these people with their masks on and giving each other furtive looks and suspicious glances. I just feel like we'll never forget how eerie and surreal coronavirus, the coronavirus experience was. And that itself is special because most of your life just blurs together. So it's cool that, you know, we just went through a couple of months that hopefully will be super iconic and we won't have to live through anything similar again. Heard it here first, guys. Coronavirus. Iconic. My TED Talk is over. Sorry. I am glad that you are, have already started to romanticize the past couple of months. <laughs> it's good to see that as your sister that that's where your mental health is at. I'm ready to forget this completely. Um, I'm ready to not even romanticize it. I just want to like get back. I just want to start in 2021. I would like to be sedated through the rest of the year. Now, I do have to start a new job, so I don't know how that's going to work, but I'm just ready to stop talking about it. I'm ready yeah. for it not to be the only thing that is occurring in my life. I'm just ready to resume, you know, as a 25-year-old living in a big city, swapping saliva with society. I'm ready to resume. Yeah. I don't want to go back. Let's get it going again. I'm excited for you. Thank I can't you. wait till uh, Chandler, when you move to San Francisco, will Tales of Dating be in store for the pop apologist because I want them and I think they want them too. We'll do a poll. Yeah, we can see. You know, I I definitely kiss and tell anyone who knows me. I basically, oh my gosh, this is so funny. I was at a UPS store and I was mailing keys back to, I was mailing keys to a friend of mine who needed her plants watered and I wasn't going to be able to water them. So I was mailing her keys. Anyways, the woman at the UPS store said to me, are these for an ex? 
And I kind oh of my like, gosh. I kind of chuckled. And then I had this little moment where I'm like, should I open up to this person? I was like, no, but I do like I'm feeling things about my exes, you know, like this is a weird time for me romantically because I can't <laughs> go on dates, but like there are people that I'm talking to. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this woman does not even know you. She asked like kind of a fun, innocuous question and you're really ready to like open up to her. Like slow your roll. You're like, no, it's not. They're not keys for an ex. But I do want to say if I see that fucking guy, if, if I hear from X, Y, and Z ever again, why? Have you seen X? The lady at the Laguna Hills UPS store was not ready for the sob story I was about to tell her. And so did you refrain? I refrained. And I was honestly very proud of myself because I do tend to overshare as like a way to relate to other people. But really, I just end up like talking to them about private details of my life that they A, don't care about slash never wanted to know. Yeah. So anyways, I'm, I mean, I, but I will, I will overshare and make you all uncomfortable on this podcast. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. Isn't that essentially what we're doing on this podcast? Just like giving private details of our life out to people who never asked for it? in the first yeah, place yeah <laughs> you've got a point I guess that's just I don't, you know what screw it I'm not a person with boundaries I have no boundaries I'm not gonna put them no. up now's not a time for me to install any so fine no boundaries let's go it's truly it's like me and my inability to play it cool with anything in my life um I cannot not tell someone everything like if someone asks me it's like if someone asks me oh how are the past couple several months I cannot be like Oh, it's good. I have to I have to tell them, oh, well, actually, I did this and this and this and I got this. I got this thing done and this was the experience and here is a 7,000 word monologue. It's been 30 minutes. I haven't taken a breath. You haven't said a word and I still have more to tell you about the story. <laughs> and it's so, not over. It's not yeah. even close to being over. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note of oversharing, we definitely beat that dead horse. So, Lauren, how was your week? My week was fine, but I have nothing crazy to report. Not Oh, actually, oh my gosh, I do have something to report, Chandler. And I think I am just going to do this because I think I'm just going to spill on this issue. Okay, spill. Chandler, this is UPS related. Two UPS items. One, I went to a, the UPS in Lake Forest. I think that was the, the UPS, not Laguna Hills, the one that, anyways, my incident happened at. The one okay. right off the freeway? Well, like yes, the, right, the one right off the freeway by Guitar yep. Center, Yes. I walked in and I returned two books because I am Amazon's worst nightmare and an enemy to, you know, authors everywhere. And the lady had never seen me before and was such a delight. I, I realized what it's like to be a virgin at UPS and it's incredible. I bet it was the same chick who was so she chatty was with so me. great. She's like, I wouldn't want to read these either. No, she there was just no snotty attitude, which I just really appreciated. Marvelous. Shout out UPS and El Toro. They are killing it. They are killing the game. The other UPS related news is that I came home and there was a notice on the door that UPS had come and that the package had to be personally signed for. And so they would be returning. Okay. And we know what That's that means. Cool. We don't. Well, I know what that means. I don't think anyone else knows what that means. Did you order like, you know, some dumbbells or something? <laughs> yeah, I ordered dumbbells that were insured. No, I, so I think I don't want to count my chickens before they hatch, but I think I'm, we're entering into proposal zone with Kagan. And by, I think, I mean, I picked out a ring and I think he bought it and I think it was mm -hmm. delivered. They tried to deliver it. 
So I am feeling really excited. I, t- I literally said to him this morning, did you see the notice on the door? And he was like, you are way too on top of this. Like you are way too dialed into this. It was so funny. So maybe now you just totally go dark and you just, it's happening. And now you let it be a full surprise. Yeah, but the, oh, yes, totally, totally. It, it's going to be as much of a surprise as it can be at this point. But honestly, it could still be months before it happens. Like yeah. months. I know he wants it to be kind of a big deal and he wants it to be a fun thing when we maybe go away. So he's not going to just walk me to the shore and propose. It's going to be a party. And so it literally could be like six months away right now. God grant Lauren the strength to accept the things she cannot change. <laughs> Patience is not my strong suit in this situation. And I will tell the full engagement story, not the proposal story, because that has is that is still unwritten. <laughs> That's still unwritten, I mean, you as Natasha Bedingfield would say. You can't schedule when you're gonna tell the full proposal story because you <laughs> haven't been proposed to yet. But I like how you're thinking ahead. I'm just going to say, I'm gonna, I can tell this, I'm going to tell the full story, no filter on how we got to this day where a UPS truck driver came with the ring at some later date. Okay. There we go. Excited it. about it. Anyway, so that's a great example of someone asked me an innocuous question and it's 20 minutes later <laughs> and 7,000 words. How's your week been, Chan? I'll keep it short. The week has been good. I have not been working because I don't start for a few more days. And this has led to me feeling fairly unproductive, but not that mad about it. And I actually packed up all my stuff in LA and I no longer officially live there. And what's funny is some very, very bad timing. Basically on Thursday morning, packers showed up at 7 a.m. And ladies and gentlemen, I've never had a packing company before. I've never had that luxury of having a packing company and it's a joy unlike any other. I literally didn't lift a finger. I listened to a podcast. I pretended to help. I wasn't helping at all. These gentlemen packed all of my belongings and the only finger I had to lift was to sign for said belongings, which was supreme and pure joy. I mean, I'm so used to literally putting my stuff in trash bags and then stuffing it into my whatever broke down car I have and then like making other friends move me or, you know, with the promise of me buying them dinner. So this was a moving experience unlike any other for me. It did take a turn because at some point, oh no, well, it did take a turn because as literally as the moving truck is pulling away out of my apartment complex driveway, I look down at my phone and I see a Wall Street Journal notification that says Zuckerberg plans on initiating Facebook work from home for the next decade. This was some terrible, terrible timing as I slowly started to realize that I had literally just moved my entire life for nothing. But no need to fret. Upon further inspection, it's only going to apply to more senior employees. And it's not like, you know, the offices are shutting down. It's just going to be like more of an option. And I'm still moving. But I want to say, number one, I told you not to sign your lease. And I said, you never know what the next year is going to look like. But I will say I was wrong about that. You should have signed your lease because you do need to move to San Francisco because you probably do need to go into work like within the next three months. And so it's not going to be a situation where you're just working remotely. Number two, though, 
before we dig into that, mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberg said that if you are employed by Facebook and you decide to move from a less, more expensive city like San Francisco to Austin or something like that, Facebook will decrease your salary because salaries are always geographically inflated. And so they will adjust your salary. So it's good. It's good that you signed lease in San Francisco. And honestly, you need to start your new life. And I'm proud of you for making the executive decision and defying me. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it I definitely got a lot of flack from you and mom who wanted me to live at home indefinitely. And I'm sorry, I cannot live in my childhood bedroom for much longer. My little sister, McCall, who's sometimes our intern, but right now she's really slacking. We share a Jack and Jill bathroom that she literally told me that I should just use another bathroom in the house when there there is a door in my room to use this bathroom. Anyways, basically this house is no longer set up for me to function in it. And working at my dad's office just makes me feel like it's the summer before my junior year of high school and I'm getting paid $10 an hour. So I need to get out. I need to start moving. Okay. Anyways, that's how the week's been. Let's move forward. Let's dig into nannies during coronavirus. There was this really interesting article on The Cut where they basically interviewed a series of nannies and they just took snippets from their stories. And and it was a good mix of positive and also negative experiences, which I appreciated about the article. Uh, Love The Cut. But one thing that was interesting for me was that I follow this, prior to reading this article, I follow this like wellness, healthy eating, workout. I don't know. She's kind of like a, just a general wellness person. She has like an app. And she runs this app with like a small team of girls who are about my age. And when Corona started, she actually moved to the Hamptons. Totally fine. Not mad at her for moving to the Hamptons. Her house seems gorgeous. But one of the girls who she employs went with her, which I at first was like, okay, maybe she's going to be there for like a few weeks. Like, you know, she posts stories with the girl and they seem to be like really good friends. But what has been interesting is to see how the girl kind of has to be a little bit of a nanny as well. And I don't know if that's like a part of her job description. And so this girl has been with them for like the past three months. Like she hasn't really left. And I see her like kind of taking care of the kids. And the mom, the lady I follow, will post like, they're cute. They're It's all really sweet and like good natured. But like videos of her being like, this is what working looks like when you're in quarantine. And it's like the kids are like climbing all over her. And it just sort of struck a chord with me about how hard it would be to be employed with your boss or to be quarantined with your boss 24-7. Even if you do have a really good relationship and they treat you really well, that would just be so, so hard because you never get to take a break and just like be a person by yourself or, you know, disconnect from that like mode that that working mode that you're in. And so I just have a lot of sympathy reading about these nannies who are stuck with their employer around the clock. I think it would be an actual nightmare because it again like you said it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how chummy you are with the people you're still an employee you're still on the clock and even when you're off the clock you're still considered the employee and you could just never really truly be at ease never or relaxed never were there any other stories that like stuck out to you that you thought were interesting I think it was just hearing that the employers expected their like their nannies to and their houseworkers to 
drive out into the city in in cars with other domestic workers where they were like really in close contact with other people. They said that people were constantly coming in and out of the houses, like maintenance people, other workers, and that they were just interacting with so many people, so many random people throughout the day and had to by virtue of their work in these huge grand estates. And how one woman said that she's Haitian, I think, and that uh, a bunch of people in her Haitian community had passed away, was super sad. And she, ba- and she basically said it's because we are forced to still be going out and potentially infecting ourselves with this virus. And how she talked about how her employer insisted on having all these special groceries. And so she had to go to like three or four different grocery stores to make sure they had the toilet paper, the exact brand they wanted, and then the exact brand of something else. And it was just, it was all very unnecessary and not thoughtful. It just seemed like there wasn't um, any real compassion. But the worst part to me was when they basically insisted that this one nanny come out to the Hampton babysit. And she said, well, I can't because my son is out of school and now I have to take care of my son. And they said, no, it's fine. Bring your son. And so she says, you know, reluctantly, okay, I'll, I'll come. I'll bring my son. And you know, this woman would rather just not have to go out there. You know, she would rather just hunker down and not have to go work and potentially be exposing herself. But anyway, she brings out her son. And because she took her son, the woman said that her pay would be deducted by $300 from her $700 a week for room and board for her son. I'm sorry, feeding, how much, what child costs $1,200 a month to feed? That's ridiculous. It's absolutely so much money. It's almost half of her weekly take home. It's absolutely sickening. Yeah, it's horrible. And so you just think about like being in a situation like this and how stressful it would be. And then to also be forced to go to work, to be forced to put your health at risk. And you know, most of those people, if they don't have that job, it's not like most of them are probably undocumented. So they can't get unemployment. They can't get any sort of assistance. And if they don't go to work, they don't have the money to feed their families, which is just so, so horrible and really sad. Hearing about the special groceries is like so maddening because it's clear that these people aren't actually seeing this as a serious situation in which like they shouldn't be taking unnecessary risks. It's like we need to have the exact same type of life that we've always had. And even though these times are unprecedented and, you know, we have to be we even though like these times are different and scary, like they that shouldn't affect us. We should still get to keep living the life that we want to live. Exactly. We're not going to sacrifice any part of our lifestyle for the safety of the people who we employ. We are going, yeah, we cannot be inconvenienced whatsoever. And the other interesting part of the article was the, one of the nannies said that the dad was complaining so much about how hard it was to have all the kids home. And she just thought, I do all of the work. I'm the one taking care of them. Like you're not doing anything. Like, how is this so difficult for you? Yeah. I mean, I... I'm not going to get into it now because it's too long of a story, but one day I will tell the story of when I was a nanny in France because it truly was an epic disaster and a tale not for the weary. So we'll leave that for another day truly. when we have more time. That oh, could be an God. entire episode. Yeah, honestly, that that rescue mission. You know what, actually, you know what, I'm just going to tell the nanny story right now. Do you have time? Do you mind? You know, I got all the time in the world for you, baby. Wow. Thank you, Chandler. Okay, so I was a nanny in France. And the one positive part about being a nanny in France was that whenever someone asks me if I've lived abroad, I can say, oh, yeah, I've, you know, lived in France, you know, I've like lived there for, you know, maybe a year or so. Um, Um, Not a year or so. I'm gonna say this was 90 days. 
broad. <laughs> okay. That was, I definitely was trying to trigger Chandler because I lived there for a solid four months, but she's always, always busting my chops whenever I tell people <laughs> that I was there for four months. She's always like, no, it was two months. You didn't live there. It was like an extended situation. It was like six weeks. You were their nanny, and one of those weeks was, like, in Laguna Beach, so more like a month. This just speaks to your early-onset dementia, but the reality is, is I was wow. I, I was hired as a nanny for a French family in Laguna Beach. I got a call. I was 19 years old. I was working at Pete's Coffee. I thought my, my life could not have been better. I had a super hot boyfriend, and I was working at Pete's Coffee, and I was 19. I mean, like, I had my dream job, my dream guy. Like, <laughs> what could get me out of this situation? Like, what could get me to leave the golden sunshine of Laguna Niguel, Dana Point, Pete's Coffee, in the arms of my brawny boyfriend? Well, maybe the siren song of Southern France. Yes, indeed. A friend called me, and they said, hey, we have this family friend. They're looking for an au pair in the South to move with them back to the South of France. So the deal would be that you would nanny for them through all of August, and then they would move you back to Aix-en-Provence, where they live, and you'll nanny for them for, for the school year. And so, you know, I I was a adventurous gal. At least I thought of myself that way. I definitely thought of myself as a European at heart. This was I, the wanderlust that you had been searching for in Laguna Niguel slash Dana Point, And it was finally being handed to you on a twelve fifty an hour silver platter. Absolutely. I, you know, on my, you know, $800 a month salary from Pete's, I wasn't exactly making the kind of money to take European vacations <laughs> and live Parisian cafe lifestyle. I thought I was born to live. And I took this opportunity by What's a good metaphor, Chan? By the bulls? By the bullhorns? I mean, that feels a little Spanish. I feel like you you really took it by the kerchief or like the neck scarf. <laughs> Let's just say I you, said yes. You took it by the striped tee and long cigarette. I don't know. What's Parisian? I ordered a beret immediately, okay? And I was ready to go. <laughs> I I cannot I cannot wait. This was pre Instagram days. That might date me. Um, oh my showing gosh. my age. Can this was pre Instagram. Yeah. Can you imagine if you had had an Instagram and just like the post that you would be crafting, like uh, a small life update? I'm actually moving to the south of France, Aix en Provence. You may have heard of it. You may have probably seen it in you know movies throughout time. But it's this small French village outside of Marseille. And it, oh, like, you would have just had a heyday with this on social media. Heyday. I would have probably gone viral or at least annoyed everyone who likes me or is who knows me. Oh my gosh, Lauren, you literally would have been famous by now. Wait, yeah, I wouldn't have to be starting a podcast at pushing 30, <laughs> okay? Gosh. But you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, baby. So what ended up happening, Lauren? I remember you getting the news and talking it over with mom and dad who were apprehensive, of course. And I feel like mom insisted on meeting the family. And then they had like their meet and greet. And then I feel like it was like, you know, a month later, you were off. Okay, so this is what happened. I was pitched this gig. And what they said is, when you move in with family in, in Laguna, because they summer every year in Laguna, you're going to be with them full time. And it's going to be a pretty full time situation. But once you go back to France, it's going to be super chill. The kids go to school every day from 8 to 3. And so you'll come over for a few hours in the morning, help get the kids off to school. And then you'll come over for four or five hours at night, five days a week. And I, 
I, this sounded incredible to me. I mean, we were no strangers to domestic labor, having grown up as daughters of Deborah Bledsoe. So for me, this sounded like no sweat off my back. I, I would be there in a heartbeat, no problem. Listeners, please see Child Activist Diaries if you want more context to that joke. Yeah. To give you an idea of how many chores our mother made us do, our uncle one time for Christmas got us all t-shirts that said servant on them. Yeah. It was like servant number, servant number one. Yeah. yeah. Servant number two. Like we worked, we, my, our mom worked us like rented mules. And anyway, so I got to their house in Laguna and the first month it honestly was pretty brutal. Like it was, it was very brutal. There were four kids. There was an 11 year old, a 12 year old, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And the 12-year-old couldn't even make his own toast. That's how pampered these kids were. And I wasn't, I wasn't watching the children. I was actively engaging with the children at all times because the mom and the dad were always there. So it wasn't like I was just paid to make sure everyone's good, that they have their stuff, overseeing the, I wasn't an overseer. I was like a lion on the floor playing with the two and the four-year-old or actively cleaning or actively cooking from sun up to sundown. I remember going to bed and waking up exhausted every day. Like I was so tired. It was just such intense work. And it just started from basically the moment I woke up and didn't stop till like nine at night. Did you move in with them in Laguna? I can't remember. Yeah, I did. I did. That's why I just felt like you were gone so quickly. Yeah. And that's, I moved in almost immediately. And I remember one time we went to Three Arch Bay to the beach and their house is probably a mile and a half down the beach. And the kid, one of the kids had forgotten something. And the mom turned to me and said, Lohan, will you go back to the house and get it? And we had, I think we had been dropped off at the beach by the dad. And so I had to walk like on the beach, a mile and a half. It was so hot. I just remember being so miserable. Like it was just, it was just utter misery. That's really the only way to explain it in my mind. And so what stopped, like, why didn't you say, I don't want to go to France? I mean, actually, I don't blame you for being like, let's see how France is. Well, they said it's going to be really hard when you're here, but once you get to France, it's going to be so chill. That's right. And so, yeah. And so I was kind of, forewarned. And so I just thought, okay, I have to get to France, have to get to France, have to get to France. This is my warning to people. If a situation isn't good in your life, don't try to replicate that situation or continue that situation in a foreign country. It's just not a good idea. So I remember I landed in France. So the family goes back and I follow them like a week later. So I, I, Landed in France, and I remember I took a train to Aix-en-Provence, which is three hours south of France. And this was another reason why south I was Paris. sold. Three hours south of Paris, Paris. Excuse me. Yes, this is the this is another reason why I was sold on this journey. They had told me that the village they lived in, Saint-Marc-Germagard, was the same village that Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt had a villa, and Johnny Depp had a place. Like it was supposed to be iconically gorgeous and just a very rich town. It was. It was stunning. So I remember I get in. I take the train ride three hours south of Paris to Aix-en-Provence. Basically, yeah, the Newport Beach of the south of France. And she picks me up. And because I was on a red eye, I got there at probably one o'clock in the afternoon. And I thought, okay, like she'll drop me off of the apartment I'm going to stay in because the deal was I was going to, I was not going to live with the family, which was kind of uncharacteristic. I was going to live in an apartment in the center of town 
which also really appealed to me. And then I would have a little car and I would go drive out to their house every day because they were living in their pool house while their main house was getting remodeled. So generally the nanny lived in the pool house while they lived in the main house. But because they were living in their pool house, their pool house, by the way, was 4,000 square feet. So that should tell you about the kind of situation they were in. It was incredible. Yeah. Because they were living in the pool house, I was living in the dad's apartment in the center of town. Another red flag I should have picked up on, but I didn't. So I get there. I figure she's going to let me stay in the apartment that night, you know, and I'll probably report for duty the next morning, which still to me is kind of intense because jet lag is pretty rough, but I figured whatever, that's what it is. Nope. She picks me up. We go back to the house. I've been traveling for 17 hours and it's active duty time. And I just remember, I couldn't believe she was having me help with dinner and having me like do all this work. And I was, I was deliriously tired. I'm not a person who can sleep on planes. This was pre days where I didn't actually find out about like Unisom and Xanax and heavy medication wasn't a part of your life, which is probably for the best, you know, in the scenario that you didn't have access to those sorts of drugs. Yeah, I didn't have any sort of access or know-how to how to self-medicate a little bit to lubricate travel and the travel experience. Lubricate. So anyway, I was exhausted and I get there. I work a half day. It's probably, I get there probably 1.30 and I don't leave until 7. And now it's, (laughs) this story makes me sound crazy. Because what I'm about to say, people are going to like think I'm totally a liar, but I swear to you this happened. So the dad had a little car for me to drive and they drew me a map to how to get back to the apartment. She had shown me the apartment, but I didn't know how, you know, and she had driven me to the house, but I didn't know how to get back to the house, from the house to the apartment. And it was a full three mile, three mile drive, maybe four. So anyway... He draws me a map. It seems relatively straightforward. And then he walks me out to the car. And um, the the car is a stick shift. And I don't know how to drive a stick shift. So the dad gives me, I would say, a 30-minute lesson on how to drive a stick shift. And then is like, all right, well, I think you're good to go. Good luck. And waves goodbye. And I had to somehow drive that car back into the little village and back to the apartment To this day, I I think I've blocked out the memory, but it was one of the scariest experiences of my life. And I don't know, I was just a pushover and I was very meek. I don't know. I wasn't a very bold person who would stand up for myself. I wasn't very vocal. And so I should have said, hey, I this isn't safe. I can't take this car, but I didn't want to say anything. And so I just did it. I remember I got into the town miraculously and But the problem, driving a stick shift is fine once you can get into like second and third gear. The issue is like getting in and out of first gear and and not stalling. And so when I got into the town and France, this town had all these little stoplights, the car was just stalling constantly, constantly stalling. I broke down in tears. A girl on the side of the road noticed what was happening and she thought I was lost. So she was so nice. And obviously I'm like a 19-year-old California girl. I'm not threatening. So she's really nice. She gets in the car thinking she's going to give me directions. I would say she made it 100, maybe 200 feet in the car. Wait, she I, literally fled. I she, she got inside the car with She you. got inside the car. I think that was also because I was lost. And so I was like lost and I was sobbing and she gets in the car. I'm showing her the map. She's trying, she's like directing me and she doesn't speak any English. And then 
literally 100 feet later, because I keep stalling, she like fully just gets out of the car and books it and leaves. Like, flees because it's so sketchy. So I don't know how I made it back. I think I parked the car like just on the street. I didn't even park it in their underground parking because I couldn't get it in. And so anyway, that should have told me what this experience would have been like. But it was in France, it was even worse. They So did you ever end up driving the car? Because when I when I make it into the story, I feel like you were driving the car. Yeah. So eventually he gave me like a longer tutorial and I practiced more and I was able to to do it. Yeah. But but that first night it was just crazy. And then Oh yeah. And that and then and then they just didn't they didn't live up to their end of the deal. The the deal was I would make 150 euros a week and I would work 35 hours a week. And you would like have the weekends, I remember. It was like and you I would, would have the weekends. weekends. Yeah. Like this would be I would love I would honestly if someone gave me this deal now I would do it. It sounds so fun. But no, they did not live up to it and I remember I I would get to their house at 7 a.m. and then we would drop off the kids at school and I remember every day she would have like a new list of things for me to do during the day at the house or like errands to run. My days were filled. I never had time between the kids when the kids would get picked up from school. And then, you know, once they were picked up from school, I was on active duty again and I worked from probably 7 a.m. till 9 p.m. every day, five days a week. So I I did have weekends, but the thing is, is, and I don't know, maybe people are going to think we just have the worst work ethics of all time. But I, when you're working 14 hour days, for me, I was just so tired. I was so extremely exhausted that I just, I didn't even want to do anything. All I wanted to do was lay in bed on the weekends. And I was so tired. And I remember that after the first week, I thought, okay, so she's going to probably also say, oh, here's, here's 250 euros um, because you worked so much more this week than we initially agreed to. Or I thought she would at least say, thank you so much for working so much extra. Nope. It was just never even acknowledged that I worked more than we had initially bargained for or than our agreement. And and it was just a really weird situation. Like the mom didn't like me. And everyone always asks like, oh, was something weird happening with the dad? And no, nothing weird was happening with the dad. The dad was totally just nice to me. And there was like some weirdness, not towards you, but like you couldn't be in the apartment on like certain days, like Tuesday afternoons through the evening were like off limits, correct? Okay. So what the deal was, was I was in his apartment. So the apartment was above an Hermes in the center of town. It was, it was a 5,000 square foot, insanely beautiful apartment. And I, I, yeah, I was living in it, but I wasn't living in the master bedroom. I was like living in the guest bedroom. There were sheets all over the furniture. So I couldn't even like actually enjoy the apartment at all. It was like very much like, oh, this is a special place. And this is is temporary that you're here. And then the other part of it that was really weird was that the mom wasn't allowed to go there. So like, I remember she would say weird things to me. Like she would say, Hey, can you bring this to me from the apartment? Because you know, I'm not allowed to go there. Oh, um, so, so weird. Yeah. So it was so weird. And I just remember, I remember one Saturday, I finally, like, of course, when you get to the weekend, you're so excited. And she invited me to go to lunch with her and her friends. And what? The- I don't know that you've ever told me this. Yeah. Gosh, there's so many stories that are coming back to me. And I'm sorry, Chandler, it's been like 15 minutes. So I will try to wrap it up really soon. Yeah, she invited me to lunch with her and her friends. And she said, I'm getting lunch with friends. 
or she went, she's, I think she was her and her husband and friends. And she said, you know, we're getting lunch with friends. We'd love for you to come. With and so kids. I, well, to take care of the deal. Kid. I didn't realize the kids were going to be there. So I was like, yes, finally, you realize like I have a lot to offer French society. <laughs> so I'm being included in this meal. No, when I got there, the kids were there and it was very clear. It was like I was on active duty with the kids <gasps> at the other end of the table. And something else, I'm not sure if you know this, but French people dine for like three hours. Mm-hmm. They eat for so long. And so I just remember it was three hours of taking care of the kids on my blessed Saturday off. It was just terrible. She made me work so much. She never paid me any extra. She never acknowledged it. And then the straw that broke. Oh, there was this one time when I was. Is this the bed story? Oh yeah. She, her complaint about me was that I didn't make the beds or I didn't clean with enough joy. This was one of the things she told me. Ah, of course. I've noticed the same thing about you and I've just been waiting. (laughs) Yeah, this was before. I'm sure if I had AirPod Pros back then and could throw on a podcast, I would have cleaned with much more joy. But, you know, it was pretty much drudgery doing menial labor in silence for her all day while the kids were at school. I remember one time they lived on this house that was very much in the countryside. And so there weren't any houses, other houses around. And it was like almost on a forest. And the four-year-old ran into the forest and the two-year-old was on my arm, on my hip. I was holding the two-year-old and I couldn't set the two-year-old down and then run after the four-year-old. So I had to kind of like run with the two-year-old on my hip. And it was just a really frustrating experience. And I definitely felt like the four-year-old was being like specifically bratty. And I started crying. And then the next day, the little boy when we were driving in the car together and the 11-year-old, he was like, oh, my mom said you cried like a baby yesterday. So she had been watching like the whole thing go down. It was just like Taylor Swift would say, a death by a thousand cuts, this experience. And yeah. Written, that song was written for your au pair experience. Absolutely. So anyway, my mom and my sister, my two sisters, McCall and Chandler, they were coming to visit. And our plan when they were coming to visit was they would stay with me at the apartment <laughs> because it was a 5,000 square foot apartment with like four bedrooms. Of course, my my mom and my two sisters, they're going to crash with me when they're here because their plan was that they would travel during the week and come stay with me during the weekends. So I had offered up the apartment unthinkingly. I just thought, yeah, of course you'll stay here. So I remember you guys were flying over the Atlantic Ocean and the mom asked me where you guys were staying. And I said, oh, they're going to stay with me um, for a little bit before they, you know, go on to their next stop. She freaked out and was like, oh, you know, this is a very special apartment. Uh, they're not allowed to stay here, you know. Anyway, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. It was in that moment when you guys were flying over and I knew you guys had to get a hotel and that I just broke down. I, 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 I'll take it from here. Yeah, take it from here. We took the train in from Paris to Aix-en-Provence from Paris and when we got to the train station you you know zipped in in your little car and I remember you getting out of the car and like trembling as mom like hugged you because you were just so yeah you were just so overcome with emotion you know having been away from home for so long and so mistreated and then I remember I I rode with you mom and McCall got a taxi with some of the luggage to the hotel and I rode with you to like to go and I actually went to the apartment with you and I remember yeah. it being absolutely stunning huge right huge and then I think it was like you came back to the hotel and you were like I'm gonna send an email and I'm gonna quit yeah I, I remember collapsing into 
I remember collapsing into mom's like chest and arms when she got there. Um, yeah. So, so I, I emailed her, I told her I'm done. I'm no longer working for you. Like I'm leaving. I think I dropped off the car like in the morning at their house. And then I had a taxi take me back to, to your guys's hotel or something. I kind of mm-hmm. did it all very slow because I was yeah. such a coward and never wanted to face her. Yeah. And and yeah, it's interesting though. It, it, it's interesting to look back on that experience, and I know that I know that now I had a lot of power because it was it would be a huge pain to find a new nanny, to fly them out, to do that whole thing. So I could have just negotiated and said, "Hey, you're not treating me fairly," mm-hmm. and I probably would have gotten a great situation. But I was when I was younger, when I I would say for a lot of my early twenties, and you know when I was nineteen, I definitely felt like a really powerless person, and I felt. Um, yeah, like I just wasn't willing to stick up for myself because I didn't think I deserved it. Like I didn't think I deserved to be treated well. I felt like I just couldn't handle what was being thrown at me. And so I had to quit. So, so sad. And it's interesting. Things you learn as you like get older, you know, and it's just funny because every time people are like, oh, you lived in France. Do you speak French? No, I don't speak any French. The only French words I know are and toilet. Toilet means toilet. And achet means stop, because I said achet all day long to the kids. The kids spoke perfect English, and so my role as their nanny was I was not allowed to even try to speak in French to them, because I was supposed to keep their English skills up. But then also, people always assume, like, oh, I lived in South of France. It must have been the most incredible experience. Or they they react that way when I tell them I lived there. And no, it was the most hellish experience ever. And so my advice to people, the lesson I learned is it doesn't matter like what, where you are, if you don't like your life situation, no amount of beautiful surroundings will make up for it. And you can be so miserable in like a gilded cage, if you will. So there's a poem for you. Wow. Gilded cage. Yes. The Gilded Cage, a poem by Lauren Bledsoe. Another working title. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So anyway, that's my France story. If yeah. You, if any of you have nightmare nanny or au pair stories, I would love to hear them. Send me a DM. We'll throw them up on the feed. We'll get them. We'll get maybe a good fun combo going. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, so another news story that was everywhere this week was the Call Her Daddy drama. Mm-hmm. I had only I had heard of this podcast because uh, my really good friend Kelly, shout out Kelly McQuillan. She's the best. I met her at work and I adore her. She said to me like a few months ago, she was like, do you listen to the Call Her Daddy podcast? And I was like, no, I don't know anything about it. And she always like highly recommended it. But I never ended up listening until all of the drama this week broke. So Lauren, do you want to take us through the facts of this juicy case? With pleasure. My investigative journalism allowed me to do some digging this weekend um, into this case. And here are the facts for everyone out there. Essentially, these two girls, they started this podcast and they did about four episodes and they got in contact with David Portnoy of Barstool Sports, which is a media company Mm -hmm. um, and owns a lot of podcasts. And he basically bought their podcast. So it would be like if someone came in right now and said, hey, I think Pop Apologist has a lot of potential. What we're going to do is we're going to put it on our platform and we're going to provide it with distribution. So it's like if someone said to me and Chandler, 
for the rights to pop apologist the name and the, the what they call intellectual property IP, you're going to give that to us. And what we're going to do is we're going to massively distribute it and essentially catapult you to success. Yep. So that's the deal they made. And so they and to get this four, after four episodes is like insane. Is incredible. Yes. So they make this deal. They each, their contracts were making 75K each the first year, 85K the next, and 95K the third year, which is kind of chump change when you think about, you know, living in New York. Um, yeah. But you also have to consider a podcast is probably, you know, I don't know, maybe a 20 hour a week commitment from each host. It's not a ton of work. I so, mean, I would, I actually disagree. I feel like it def- that definitely isn't enough money to like be living a high life in New York. But I, I do think if this becomes your solo career, I think you have to like really make sure your content is like airtight and that it just becomes and stays and becomes a really good podcast. That's true. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So they sign, they're doing the podcast and essentially they get approached by a bunch of different people and are told that they have a really bad deal. And one of the people that is telling them that they have a really bad deal is Peter Nelson. And Peter mm-hmm. Nelson is an HBO executive. And also, fun fact, is dating one of the girls. Although she doesn't say that she's dating anyone on the podcast, I believe. Because- I actually think she, ref- well, she refers to him as Suit Man. Oh, okay. So I guess she eventually does. Yeah, you're right. Okay. I did read some drama that people were upset because she downplayed how long she'd been dating him. Because a big premise of the podcast mm-hmm. And just so, I guess we'll kind of zoom out a little bit. These are girls that they talk about sex the whole time. It's just a podcast about sex. It's super raunchy. Honestly, I actually enjoy it. I recommend it um, if you're into, if you like a Howard Stern type podcast, it's definitely one to listen with just your AirPods in. I wouldn't put it on speakerphone, but it's a funny podcast and it's certainly something we can all relate to. And I think it is a cool podcast. No, no shade. Yeah. Being, is being thrown by it by the pop apologists. Definitely. Um, no one's clutching their pearls right now. No. And and so they the one girl is Sophia and but the other girl is Alex. Only, yeah, and not only is it about like sex, but it's about their dating and hooking up escapades. So yes. I can see why she hid, you know, the fact that she was seeing somebody in a more long-term way because the whole premise is that they like have all these different, you know, adventures, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so people were upset that she'd actually been really dating him for a much longer time. But the the gist is, is that they were being told by Peter Nelson, aka Suitman, and then a bunch of other people that they had a really bad deal, that they were getting effed by Barstool, mm-hmm. that they were just, their deal was so bad. And I think it made them feel kind of stupid and like they were being taken advantage of. And so ultimately... Well, and you they, don't know, like, what, how much money to expect. Like, honestly, I mean, just getting someone to buy your podcast feels huge. Like, I I can see how they were like, yeah, done. We'll take it. Like, that's incredible. It started off as something just for fun. Right. Totally. So, eventually, their first year is up. And it's always normal, even if you have a multi-year contract, to renegotiate your contract at the end of each term. And mm-hmm. so... So after the first year, they they renegotiate, but instead of a normal renegotiation, which is probably just asking for, you know, marginally more, 20 to 30% more, they asked for the moon. They just asked for so much. They sent over this, this offer that was extremely ridiculous. Apparently, it was just like blue sky crazy. Um, asking for everything. And so David Portnoy at Barstool, their boss basically said, go screw yourself. Like we're not, we're not doing this deal. 
So they play a little hardball with him. And then eventually he comes around and he offers them 500K each plus the IP for the show. After one year of being with Barstool, they could have the IP with the show, for the show and totally own it, which is huge because generally like that is the, the price you pay for getting blown up and getting major distribution. You give away your IP and a very something analogous to this is that it's like your masters, even, right? Would you say yeah. like owning your masters? Exactly. Yeah, it's like Scooter Braun owns uh-huh. Taylor Swift's music. Taylor Swift doesn't own her music. That's the price you pay for getting that major distribution. Yep. And so for someone to say, oh, we're going to five X your, no more than five X your salary. We're going to six to seven X your salary. And you can have the IP to this entire show in one year. That's insane. They got the best deal. And the one, the one podcaster who did the majority of the work in podcasting, it definitely is work. And there's a lot more involved, I think, that we have learned yeah. in just putting together this little podcast. It was really interesting to hear her talk about how she was actually, even when they, you know, got this deal from the original deal, she was still having to do all of the editing. And like, from my perspective, I just thought like, once your podcast got big enough, like someone else just, you know, took over and did all the like the minutiae for it. And it's just totally not true. She was still doing, you know, all the heavy lifting editing wise. And that's like serious hours. Lauren knows, I know it is like a lot of hours to edit a podcast. Yeah, editing a podcast. I mean, I don't know if we want to say how long it takes to edit our podcast or we want to keep that on the low. But That's anyway, fine. I mean, I don't. Okay. I mean, I would say it takes a solid eight to 10 hours to edit our podcast. Probably 10 hours. Yep. 10 to 11 hours to have an episode done. Yeah. Like not including recording. It probably takes us two hours to record. Mm-hmm. And then about 10 hours to edit. Yeah. The what Sophia said is that they record for three hours and it takes her between, she said basically eight and 20 hours to edit. Yeah. Or Alex said that. Alex, the host, did all the work, which totally sounded reasonable to me. Like, I mean, I also think that, like, yeah, I don't know what's fair to, to say that she did all the work, but she did the majority of the work and it was very, oh, yeah, the majority. She did all the editing, which yeah. is really, which the is, most, which is a huge 80% of it. Yeah. It's the lion's share, 100%. Because you have to consider, like, podcasting, really, you come up with the content beforehand, you kind of think about it and think about what you're going to say. I don't know if we're totally pulling the curtain, but you behind the curtain or whatever. But, and then you record, but then there's just so much in post production. That takes a lot of work if you're going to put up a good product. And so anyway, Alex, the girl who's doing the majority of the work, she was so happy with the deal. She realized that it was golden. But Sophia, the girl who was dating Suitman and who was telling her that it was a bad deal, he was basically what everyone believes is that he kept telling her that she needed more and to ask for more. And Mm -hmm. so it would be like if someone offered like, okay, it'd be like if someone offered me and Chandler. 500k to start doing our podcast with their network or whatever and Chandler or I got super greedy and was like no I want more than that I want and Kagan was just feeding you new demands to ask every single week totally Kagan was like kind of driving the ship and so Chandler imagine Chandler knows we have a golden deal imagine this is her only job her financial future depends on it and she knows we're getting like this sweet sweet deal and I am completely ruining it I mean and I think it's also I think it's just interest it's it's crazy how they were just never on this like they could never get on the same page yeah 
that girl really just had someone else in her ear the whole time. And it's, it's really a bummer for her. And so, so what happened was Alex, she basically said to Sophia, eventually, okay, well, I'm actually now for sure taking this deal. And this is it for me. I'm not leaving this network, which basically forces Sophia's hand. And Mm -hmm. Sophia wouldn't be, she wouldn't be moved to take the deal. And so Alex called David Portnoy, I don't know what his title is at Barstool, but she called David Portnoy at Barstool and told him that she wanted the deal and she signed and she's going to do the podcast with a different host. And so Sophia, because she had her boyfriend's voice in her head the whole time, she got she basically screwed herself out of the deal of a lifetime. Yeah. Which is, okay, I just want to say, though, really interesting, crazy drama. I think you should you should all watch the YouTube video where the girl talks about it because it's 35 minutes and it's actually riveting. Kagan and I watched it. Courtney, our sister, watched it. All of us have never had never listened to the podcast when we watched it and thought it was like really fascinating when she was talking about it. So I recommend that. But Chandler, I have one other piece of information about this. What? Have you looked up Peter Nelson? No, is he hot? I can always think of Peter from VPR, like in a suit, like at the Vanderpump Rules photo shoot. <laughs> so I do not envision him as attractive. What does he look like? I humbly request that you search Peter Nelson HBO and then go to images. Okay. Or actually, why don't I just send you? HBO you send no, I've honestly, I've already got it pulled up. Don't you worry. Google had filled in the words for me. Um, He looks like a caricature. And I mean that in the nicest way possible. I don't want to be a brat, but I mean, do you think he's attractive? I think that he's a little weird looking for sure. He's definitely yeah. a little bit cartoonish, but mm-hmm. I do I do think he's pretty hot. Really? I mean, he's like he's like he's he's very much Don Draper vibes in my opinion. Oh my gosh, yeah. Don Draper was like being drawn at like a, the Santa Monica Pier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Don Draper, his portrait was taken at Disneyland. That is what Peter Nelson looks like. So I <laughs> I humbly request that all of the apologists Google Peter Nelson HBO. That yeah, let be, us know. Weigh in. Yeah, that can be your gateway into the Call Your Daddy drama. <laughs> uh, okay, so anyways, very interesting, very juicy. I'm excited to see, you know, what happens. And it's just unfortunate as well that, you know, a business deal and a friendship goes south and everything hits the fan. Mm-hmm. It's really sad. Yep. So Don Draper caricatures aside, mm-hmm. um... Which actually, I've been thinking, I need to like rewatch Mad Men because people keep quoting it to me and I have to like be like, oh yeah, I saw it when I was like, you know, a few years ago, whatever. And I look stupid because I'm in advertising and I don't know all these Mad Men references. And I think it like really brings down my credibility. Anyways, let's get into Real Housewives. Seems like a, yeah, it seems like an, if that's literally what it takes to invest more into your career, sure. Watch Easy. some Mad Men. Easy, Easy. Yeah, totally. You don't have to freaking log into like Coursera. Just no, I log into Hulu and watch some Mad Men. No LinkedIn learning required. No Linda Mm-mm. classes. I can just binge watch some shows. Absolutely. Okay, so let's let's talk about the VPR finale. Yes, please. I really felt like this episode signified the end of an era. Mm-hmm. All of the relationships and where they sort of netted out by the end of the ep. It was just like, this is the way it's going to be. I don't have a lot of hope for some of these, like, lost connections. For example, at the end of the episode, Jax and Sandoval are having a conversation, you know, at the bar at Tom at TomTom. And basically, Jax says, 
I think maybe we should just take a break as friends. And they've been sparring the whole season. I mean, Jax has actually just been a crazy person the whole season and driving away every single rational person on the, sh- on the show, which is crazy mm-hmm. because most of the people on VPR are not that rational. But he's driving mm-hmm. away even the, like, the least rational. Anyways, so and Sandoval kind of with like a, a tear in his eye and he really did look really sad. He said like, sure, I guess we'll just do that. And I, I think to see like guy friendships take breaks, that makes me sad because I feel like guys can just kind of go in and out and not really care. But it's clear that like it's harmful for both of them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't know if you if you have any thoughts on this particular lost connection. I feel like... I feel like the friendship has run its course mm-hmm. and I don't have any I, – I feel like it was really sad to look at how amazingly they had got along. I I feel like it was, a, it's, it was really sad to see the flashbacks and see how, you know, long their friendship had been. But, you know, to be completely honest, I think that Ariana, Sandoval, Jax, and Brittany, these are all characters I do not care to continue watching at all. They oh, wow. offer nothing to the show to me. They're all just like sourpuss boring people in my mind. Whoa. Sourpuss boring people. People is have it- complimented our vocabulary on the on the show, which is really nice. And I I think that's what they're coming back for. I mean, that was a low point of our Hot takes like that. For sure. No, I know. <laughs> I Yeah, that's interesting because – I mean, honestly, VPR, like, took a turn for the worst this season, in my opinion. But I still really like Ariana. I still like Sandoval. Jax is terrible. I have no desire to honestly watch him on TV. He feels sad to me at this point. Brittany, I'm I'm like, what did you get yourself into? And But you knew yeah. you were getting yourself into it, but you still decided to do it. I don't know. Uh, and I obviously still love Stassi and Bo, Katie and Schwartz or whatever. I mean, yeah. When 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 Jack says that's why I make this show so good or something like that to Lisa Vanderpump, he's got to get real. Like, oh, I totally disagree. You think will, he's made? He this made show. this show. He has made this show. Hundred really? percent. Jacks. Let me just back it up a little bit for everyone. And if my voice sounds aggro, it's because my position is passionate. Are you? Would are you getting like Jack's level aggressive right now? I feel like you're getting like. Roydy. I'm basically going to send some rage texts okay. as I talk. Jax has fallen on the sword almost season after season and suffered for his sins for the <laughs> sake of ratings, while people like Tom Schwartz, who most definitely probably had a sketchy little situation, like everyone low-key comments on the fact that he made out with someone when he was married, while Tom Schwartz, while Tom Sandoval, while all of these cast members have just completely like had it on easy street. Jax is, has been the villain season after season. Yeah. And yes, a show takes a villain. And if you notice on the housewives, they rotate who the villain is. Everyone ha- will eventually have a bad season, but on VPR, it is always Jax. And so you could say, you could say, well, that is because Jax behaves badly. Yeah, that's true. But Jax also doesn't have to show it on the show. If you look at Lala this season, we're not seeing basically any part of her real life. The only scenes she films in is when she's BS volunteering <laughs> for Vanderpump Dogs or she's inserting herself yeah. in the drama of the newcomers. Jax puts his real life out there at all times. I just and 
And I think, yeah, I think he has carried this show. And an analogous situation is right now there's a lot of rumors that Lisa Rinna and Harry Hamlin don't even live together. And if you listen to Harry Hamlin talk to Lisa Rinna on the most recent episode of Beverly Hills, he was talking about how he was so happy that Delilah Bell or Delilah and what's what Gray or whatever. Anyway, Amelia and Delilah that they said they wanted to come over and visit him. And why would like while now that they moved back to LA? And why would they need to go visit him if they are living in LA? I thought that was because he was filming somewhere and they were like, I think they were like in New York. And so they were, and he was filming on the East Coast or something. And they wanted to like. People have dissected this scene. He was definitely referring to being in Los Angeles, being at home. And it was like, he was responding to Lisa Renna talking about Amelia having moved back to LA. And he was saying that how great it was that she and Delilah had been like, oh, we want to come visit you. That's a really weird thing to say if you live with your spouse. Like, wouldn't they come visit both of you guys? Wouldn't they come visit us? Interesting. And how does this most likely they're though? I'm confused. Where this re- sorry, this relates to Jax because Lisa Rinna isn't showing fully what's going on in her life, and she's not showing a hundred percent of what's actually happening. And these real reality stars, a lot of them don't. They don't really show what's going on. Lala is barely giving us anything this season. And Jax has always put it all out there. So I do actually respect Jax a lot when he says he carries the show. Okay. Oh, my gosh. I got to get off this. Honestly, I I do think you make a great point. I don't know. Jax is just more shameless. And it definitely has made for great television. Mm -hmm. But I also think that it is Lisa Rinna's show. I don't think that she's the villain. Vanderpump's show. Sorry. You're right. I do think it is Lisa Vanderpump's show. Yeah. I think that she has the restaurants. She's created this entire world that this drama has existed in, and I think she because she should be able to say it's her show. Yeah, I Jax mean, is she like is the, the barstool it... sports, and they are the podcast hosts. Yeah, okay, okay, I'll buy that. And they would not have been blown up without barstool sports, but ultimately they blew up also because of the talent that they brought. And some people are bringing more talent and offering more every season. That said, though, I think I've hit my. I think I've hit my limit with Jack's drama. I don't care to oh, follow yeah. him on future seasons. I think at this point it just becomes really sad because so many things in his life have like worked out and it just mm-hmm. doesn't start to feel like Lisa said, self-sabotage, you know, which he has a history yeah. of. So anyways, I don't really want to talk about Jax anymore because yeah. I don't feel like he deserves it. That being Can I tell said, you my dream future of VPR? Yeah, tell it to me. It's it's we get rid of every cast member except for Stassi and Bo. Lala and Randall, and we have intermittent appearances by Katie and by Brittany and by Ariana, and it basically becomes Real Housewives of Valley Vista, where they all live. Like, it becomes just focused on those girls' lives, and then we see a lot of Bo and a lot of Randall, both bring a lot. And then we just, we kind of just see them, because I think them and their real lives, that's all interesting. Yeah, I okay. Did first of all, do they live all live in Valley Vista? I thought it was just like Jacks. It was all the people who have like the same house who all have those like tracked homes. Oh, I guess you're right. I mean, a lot of people live in Valley Vista, so you know we what? I just it... have a beef with Valley Vista because I don't think it looks all that like great. Mm-hmm. But whatever, I don't even live in LA anymore, so who am I to talk? Anyways, I I love that future. I think that Randall. I've done a complete 180 with Randall. This. Oh yeah. 
I mean, I'm not going to lie. When the Randall stuff first broke and years ago, I was like, well, this doesn't really seem like, you know, a thing. I don't, I have a hard time buying this. But after seeing, ja- or sorry, after seeing James Kennedy apologize to Randall and Randall just like taking it in stride and saying, you know, I'm so happy that like things are going well for you and that you've kind of got your life together. I'm just excited for your future. He said something incredibly gracious and kind to someone who had said he was basically, you know, an ugly bastard. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, James said, it, it honestly, was even more horrific than that. James said something really yeah. dark about Randall. And there was a part of me, I was talking to our dear, dear friend, Candace and Lee, that was kind of like, wow, is, is Lala, I see a little bit of what Lala maybe sees in him. Mm-hmm. And he does just seem like a good guy. Also, I think he seems so eager to be everyone's friend. And maybe he just mm-hmm. wants young friends. Maybe he just wants to be on the show. But it seems genuine. And it's cute. I like it. I'm team Randall. I mean, I'm team Randall for sure. I I am not a fan when guys dump their wives. And then yeah. um, uh, especially uh. when the timeline seem, it makes it seem like they literally just cheat on their wives and traded them up for like a newer, younger version. That's a trigger for me. Team Randall is towering uh, right now. I don't know how I feel about saying team Randall anymore. If we can just redact that. Because yeah, I, I mean, couldn't agree more. It's gross. I, yeah. So like, so, so I have this complex. I have such complex emotions about Randall Emmett. You guys, like, wow, this he really keeps me up at night. He's and like to the, think you weren't even going to watch the season this year. To think. So I want to say my trepidation is top of mind at all times when I, when Randall um, is nigh. Regard. Yeah, when Randall is nigh at hand, trepidation. <laughs> is at is is not is also not <laughs> is not at hand at lmi whatever the vocabulary oh of this podcast is yeah through the roof for better or for worse astonishing but i will say that said i have to say that because as a disclaimer to saying that i love every scene he's in <laughs> I think that he is so charismatic and so funny. I would love to be friends with him. I mean, and okay. I can understand Lala's attraction. I think he would be so fun to be married to or partnered with. Like your life would just be so fun because he is so is he, fun. Is he fun or is he just rich? Like I think he seems like a no, really nice guy. No, really? Chandler. I mean, I've he seen- is like he is like truly. Randall is so just like charismatic and funny and he's always he's the person who has the juicy story but it's hyping everyone up and it's oh, like that's great he's also that's a great so person su- to have at dinner oh, oh i love that and he's so supportive and he thinks everything you're gonna do is gonna be amazing oh. and i honestly feel like he's a great person with the other thoughts <laughs> night hand people trepidation um, is still in the room yeah, it's still in the room. And so I would love to see more of him on VPR. I would love to I would watch I would watch a Randall Lala spinoff tomorrow. Okay. Wow. Well the only thing other the only other thing I wanted to touch on, uh which and I don't even think it deserves that much of our time. Randall aside. Randall aside. Is like this Kara chick who shows up and like stirs the pot. She like makes some like drunken, stupid comments to Stassi as she's trying to have a conversation <sighs> with Ariana. I don't really care. The only thing that happened... Oh, actually, there's one other thing. So, anyways, this Kara chick, she stirs the pot, and, like, Danica ends up, like, getting kind of violent, which is, like, you know, not a great look. And she's asked to leave, but, like, it was weird because Lala was, like, holding this, like, this chick, and she, like, works at, like, the Vegas Vanderpump. 
I don't know. I felt bad for Danica because clearly she was just trying to like be defensive, but violence is never the answer. The only other thing that I wanted to discuss besides that. Yeah. I just want to comment on the Kara thing. Mm, They're just setting up some sort of Vanderpump Vegas offshoot. Like it's obvious that she's a plant and it's very intentional and yeah, I'm over it too. Yeah. No, thanks. Also gross that like Max hooked up with her. I don't think Max is a great guy, so I don't know why I had, like, expectations out of him, but he just seems, like, super gross to me now. Dana looked fly as hell in the episode. I thought her look was really pretty, and it just made me sad that she's still, like, groveling for, like, Max and Brett. Like, clearly, I know she doesn't, like, she kind of, like, has this whole MO about being, like, tough girl, but I'm, like, why are you asking Brett if you guys are okay when he literally just embarrassed you so hardcore at this at this friend at uh, your comedy show dinner I don't know I just I'm like why are you even talking to them you're too good for both of them by leagues and miles I just hope that she like fully leaves behind Max and Brett because both of them are gross and Brett is like the epitome of like the worst guys in LA and Max is also the epitome of like the worst kind of guys in LA they're just you know one's an influencer and one's a manager at a bar so they're not even cute no brett speaks like a rupee car poem or a cow or i don't know how you say her name anyways he speaks like that like an instagram poet yes he speaks like an instagram poet and i can't do it i literally would have to like get my things and leave if we were ever like together she's unfollowing you brett if you ever put on if you ever write some instagram poetry chandler will not be following no sorry okay beverly hills New York? Is there anything we want to... We've touched on a little bit of Beverly Hills with Lisa Rinna. Yeah, I, we sure have. I don't have a lot to say about Beverly Hills this week. I don't either. I thought it was a genuinely a funny episode. I mean, when we watched it, we watched it together yeah. and watching Tom Girardi was hilarious. It's when Erica was welcoming him into the home and, or was it felt like if you rewatch that scene, it felt like he was actually like a, a homeless man. She had like taken him on the side of the road and taken in and like cleaned up and dressed up and like honey, like you're just going to stay here while we figure out a better situation for you. And I have this glamorous life and I have friends over. So we're just going to actually, you're going to come to dinner. They're really excited to meet you. Yeah. They're really excited to meet you. Oh, cool. Like, I mean, he just seemed so, when she took him up to bed, that was like incredible. I, I truly like, I love Erica Jane and I believe in their love. I'll go ahead and say that. But I, I just thought it was kind of adorable. And the the way the women swooned over him. I don't think she him. him up to bed. I mean, what do you think? She kind of, like, led him out. I think she, she was like, you don't have to be down here. Like, led him out of the room. Well, I think that they probably – it would be the same thing if, like, I was filming some reality show and Kagan wasn't there. Like, it'd probably be like, okay, well, like, why don't I – like, like, you know me and the girls are filming. So you're just going to be here for the intro and then, like, well, you know, we'll – I mean, I feel like she helped him out of his chair or something. I don't know. Oh, did she help him out of his chair? I mean, she just seemed to be, like, walking behind him with her hands out just in case he were to fall. Oh, really? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I could could definitely be dramatizing some things, but I just felt like she had a very protective stance in case of, you know, life alert type of situations. Oh, my gosh. But I love it. I mean, honestly, Lauren, I do not love it. I do not love it. You know what? This It's the dark reality of being married to someone 30 years older than you. I don't love it. I don't believe in their love. Like, I'm you not You don't even it. believe at all in their love? No. Okay. Well, should we talk about the poll results? 
you know what? This is the part where pop apologists, they have betrayed me. I don't know who they are. I feel like I am suddenly like cast out of my country. Like I'm a refugee yeah. on my own Instagram. Definitely. Like Cat like Stevens. Absolutely. Like who are you people? Yes, we did a poll of if Tom Girardi was hot or not. Okay. We were getting hard hitting data and the majority of you said hot. It's a sad, sad state out there. I'm I'm just going to say, like, literally my brain, I don't believe it. And so what I think that everyone is saying is that they just find him to be endearing and would also love to live the Erica Jane lifestyle. Well, I also think- No one we, actually we, wants we, to bone Tom Girardi. Whoa. We also led them down a gilded road or a golden road, if you will, because we set up the Aaron Brockovich factor, which was truly- a hot factor. That is a hot factor. I'm 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 a red-blooded American woman. That's a hot thing. I mean, it's hot if the person I, I just no, I can't, I can't, I cannot. Okay. I'm okay. my brain, yeah. I'm okay. I am shutting down. Let's just leave it behind. Let's just leave it in the past. Moving on to New York. Okay, I, I have been waiting this entire episode to get into this crazy thing. The audience of Real Housewives are some of the smartest people I've ever encountered. They put together details and facts and storylines quicker than people at MIT. Okay, and I would just say that people, the 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 students at MIT, should be shaking in their boots, knowing that they have that they're that the Real Housewives audience is out there. Harvard grads could never, could never. Anyways, moving forward to their conclusion, Tinsley went to China to get. Her dogs, whatever her dogs are named, like Bippity Boppity or whatever. Like it's two, it's one name, but it's split up into two. I don't know. Anyways, her dogs' names are like Polka and Dot or something weird. Anyways, <laughs> she went to China. She got her dogs. She came back from China. She hung out with Luann and Leah, and they all got sick. They all complained of a terrible cough when they sat down to brunch. Do we think they all had coronavirus? I hate to break this to you, sister, but I guess the MIT grads and the Harvard grads can rest easy tonight because the first instance of coronavirus happened in November in Wuhan, and that scene was filmed in the summer in New York. No, it wasn't. It was filmed in the summer? Yeah. Okay. Well, Lauren, I would just like to say on behalf of MIT and Harvard, is it not possible that she contracted the virus? maybe months before it was like fully identified in Wuhan, like could it not have been floating around in the ether in China at some point? When did and she go to China? Was Tinsley Mortimer patient zero in New York? There it is. I, I, mean, don't, I don't know when exactly she went to China, but I'm just saying like if the first, if the first case happened in November, perhaps, perhaps it is a stretch, but crazier things have happened. We're currently living in a pandemic. I haven't left my house in four months. I'm just saying, never say never. Hmm. I'm going to investigate this further. However, I think it's highly unlikely unless unless Tinsley's dog grooming. What she went there for dog grooming? No, no, she got two new dogs. Oh, okay. Sorry. Olka and Dot. Uh, Can somebody I just need to look up these damn dogs' names. Hold on. Okay. Let, let's just look up. Tinsley trip to China. When was it? Let's just look it up. Yeah, I don't see anything online about about this and I think I mean that, I don't think that you have to see 
I don't think you have to see this confirmed case. I think this is literally... I'm saying even on Reddit. I don't think people on Reddit are talking about Tinsley Mortimer. I think Reddit is for normies. And I don't know. Reddit is like filled with Bravo people. I just don't... There's a full subreddit for Bravo on, on Reddit. I just think this truth hasn't even reached like the conventional channels. Okay. The mainstream media has not picked up on this. Yeah, but because they don't want to pick up on it because it would be detrimental Tinsley, to Bravo. It's like a Pizzagate ex Bravo. Like it's just a big mess for Bravo. Okay, Tinsley Mortimer was, was patient zero in New York City. Let's just Chandler. Let's just hope that Governor Cuomo is not listening to this pod. If he is, if he I'm is, so turned on. Be- if he is, I'm so turned on. Tinsley shaking. You're shaking for another reason. Oh my gosh. <sighs> Okay, so anyways, that was my that was like really something I wanted to to a truth bomb I wanted to drop on everybody. Let's talk about the bathhouse experience. Dorinda has so many Dorinda Dorinda is who I feel a lot of people could become if they gave into their darkest impulses. I don't know, is that maybe a stretch? I just feel like Dorinda is horrible. I think Dorinda is the person you are when you're at your Dorinda this season is all of us at our darkest moments saying the darkest things we've ever thought. Yeah, she's she's you know like we've all said really terrible. You know, honestly mm-hmm. actually I don't feel like like we've we've had fights. I've had fights with Courtney. We've all had our issues and like drama, but it's always none of us have ever gone below the belt or for the jugular. Yeah. None of us have ever said anything that's truly hurtful or that we know would actually really hurt the other person's feelings mm-hmm. we might have said like f off or like screw you or like you know i don't want to talk we, to you we never we never would like say something mean about someone's body or like say someone's mean something mean about someone's life situation or patronize someone's entire personality yeah like we like i actually take it back i think that dorinda is actually just kind of a terrible person and wow. I really like the way she's treating Tinsley is egregious. I think she's definitely picking on Tinsley and it does make me sad. I feel like she's so uninterested in Tinsley completely as a person and anything that goes on in her life. And then she tries to play it off as like, you don't even tell us anything. Why do you keep all these secrets? You don't open up or whatever when she did that last season. Yeah. And I and then I just think she like senselessly picks on her and and honestly the way she talks about Tinsley's voice like screeching that's something that she cannot control. Like shut up, Chandler. If you look back on where this drama started, it actually started from nothing. This is literally like we all have a friend in our life who is just, you know, there are people who are not the most fun or engaging or who we think are the most interesting to be around. Yeah. But for some reason or another, they're in our circle. When is it ever appropriate to suddenly pick on that part of a person and decide, no, I'm going to, I'm going to now zero in on this, this minor, minor annoyance. I'm going to zero in on this little bit of, of personality trait that I find undesirable. And I'm going to make it out to be a horrible thing. And then I'm going to vilify you and degrade you. And scream and, and literally do it in front of all of our friends all the time. Every single time we're together. Yeah. It's like, it's terrible. What are you doing, Dorinda? This actually came out of nowhere. You created this you feel drama. Like Dorinda is like somehow 
I don't know if jealous is like totally encapsulates it, but do you think she's upset because Tinsley really is just like a silver spoon person? Well, I would say that I the only reason I agree is because I think that the people close to the scene are calling it out for what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I don't think I would have come to that conclusion on my own. But now that they say that, yeah, it does make a lot of sense. And oh my gosh, yeah, it is just – it is really sad. It is really sad. Like I mean, clearly, also, like and, – and then people are trying to – people are making very good points to Dorinda and they're like, she hasn't had a kid. Like she hasn't like hit some of these milestones that we all we have already hit in our lives. Right. And like there should be like an intense level of empathy for all of those women towards Tinsley because they all have had those moments that Tinsley mm-hmm. is so – yearning for and it's really devastating it's really sad to see and i just think it makes dorinda seem like a really vile person that she like cannot possibly show empathy to tinsley or just you know be kind to her or just honestly normal like she doesn't have to be her best friend they don't have to be great pals on the show but she just instead decides to pick on her yeah, I mean, those women were a nightmare to Tinsley when she did not want to reveal, like, the detail. Or when she, I'm sorry, when she was spilling about her and Scott and when she was talking about her insecurities and how yeah. it wasn't perfect, they kept berating her about how she basically was on her last yes, egg. And Bethany, like, wanted her to call Scott on the phone. Yeah, I mean, like, they were terrible uh, to her. Have She'd we- been exposing the realities of of her dating life with with Scott for years on the show and then so suddenly she stops talking about it and it's like oh you don't say anything about your life you just want to pretend everything's perfect and it's like no she's just finally has learned to you know be a little bit more protective yeah I mean it just the whole thing makes me like sad and I think we've all been in relationships especially the Scott relationship where you like I mean obviously it all ended up working out but we're in the moment your friends are anti that relationship and that makes you like an incredibly fragile person. I've dated someone who like everyone in my family thought I should break up with. And it was not helpful for everyone to just literally berate me all the time about how bad this relationship was. I knew it. I just like wasn't ready and I had to come to that conclusion on my own. Yeah, it just drives it just drives you away from people and yeah, it, you, it makes you feel yeah. isolated. Yeah, it's not productive. And so another yeah. main takeaway for me about Dorinda is just that her life coach, which I've got issues with this life coach or therapist, whoever the hell he was, he literally looked like a car dealership salesman. He was not dressed like a life coach. And I don't really know what I expected. I didn't really think I had opinions. What do you expect a, dr- a life coach should wear? I didn't have really have opinions on what my life coach should be wearing, but I knew it wasn't that. Like, I don't want a purple golf shirt. Sorry, not interested. And his office was kind of weird. Like it felt like she was signing paperwork for like a new Hyundai more than she was getting life Mm -hmm. advice. If I had a life coach, I would want him to be wearing Lululemon joggers. I would want him to have a Mendaku or whatever that brand is, yoga Yoga mat. I would want him to drive a Tesla Model 3, Mm kind of low key, still really nice. And like I would want him to be very sporty and very athletic, have chiseled muscles. And I would like okay. him – I guess I would like him to be Kagan. No, yeah. I would like – I'm like, you're I would just like, someone hot and successful. I mean, which is a great model for a life coach. But that is the thing. You want their life coach just to be on top of life. I mean, or so. I want them to be somebody who like – who completely embodies their philosophy. Meaning maybe they're wearing yeah. a tunic. They look like a character out of Lewis Lowry's Absolutely. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. I would love it if they looked like, they look like Eckhart Tolle perhaps. Any of these things. They spoke really softly. I'm going to start making a mood board for life coaches who listen to us. Like some things they can dress like, you know, Mm -hmm. the type of like jandals they should be wearing. We're going to- Life coaches everywhere. Pick a lane. Like, are you going to be the successful entrepreneur, health conscious life coach? Are you going to be the spiritual guru? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, s- sitting in your tunic aloft. Pick a lane, figure it out, and base your outfits on it. And we're also, I guess, now open for free consulting when it comes to these things. So, life coaches Absolutely. everywhere slide into our DMs. I would say we're going to charge though because we oh, can't afford, afford. After this podcast, we can't afford to do anything else for free. <laughs> You- One thing also about Dorinda is it yeah. was just so funny the way she was spinning the story to her life coach. Oh like, gosh. I don't know why this girl makes me so upset. Like, and I, like she was just the way she told the story was so self-serving. It was hilarious. Oh, Speaking of fashion in that scenario, Dorinda's outfit. I loved her in that green. I loved her hair. She looked fantastic. That is the way she should be dressing all the time. There it is. I said it. Yeah, I don't actually – I honestly can't bring the outfit to mind. I forget. But I will say that I thought Luann just took my breath away. Like I was on the floor panting when I saw her a vision in a one-piece in that sauna. Like Luann De La Seps, I bow down to you. You are a stunning woman. Keep smoking those cigarettes because they're working. They are working. Drinking or not drinking, you are just the cat's meow. On or off the mm. wagon, it's working. When you see flashbacks to Luann 10 years ago and then Luann now, it's literally – it honestly is like a wine. It's like – it's just another reason why it's all genetic. She slightly turned the clock a little bit. Yeah, it really is genetic. It's wild. Sonia is similar. I think Sonia is still so beautiful. Yeah. I also just feel like Ramona is still like – she has a gorgeous body, but Ramona is still putting herself into these like – sapphire blue cocktail dresses that I don't think do her any favors no and I just want to see her wearing more I just want to see her in less tight clothing that's all not because I don't think she has a body like she should show off her body I understand wanting to do that I just I don't like the look of them maybe they just don't feel stylish to me that's probably it like let's get we'll unpack your feelings on this maybe like we'll do a bonus episode where we really dig into that just sounds like like all your complicated feelings that lauren that honestly just sounds like you want me to shut up about ramona's fashion sense no i'm not saying that at all i'm just saying that there seem no i honestly do not i'm not trying to get you to shut up (laughs) at all oh my gosh i'm like breathless i at how remarkable my points are I just feel like there's a lot behind them. Yeah. Like, is it that she's not stylish? Is it that it's she cool. actually is in just dressing age appropriate, inappropriate? Like, what is it? I don't know. I just think, honestly, it's bad style. Like, I would love to see her in, like, a Love Shack fancy number. That's it. That's all. Um, speaking of women, white women especially, the guests at her conversations and cocktails or cocktails and conversations party that – Literally looked like my living hell. A personal nightmare engineered just for me, Chandler. The stiffness of that crowd, A. B, they all looked so uncomfortable. And honestly, like the faces that we saw looked like a Google image search of rich white women. So nothing remarkable there. Sorry about it. Oh, so bad. And no more Elise. Okay, that's it. I'm done. Okay.
Well, I'm glad you – it seems like you really got a lot out of your system. And so hopefully you can spend less time with your life coach this week. You know? I mean, if he One looks like less your life to, coach, I'd like to spend more time with him. I don't have a – oh, you mean my ideal life coach? Yeah. If he looks like your ideal life coach, I'd like to spend more time with him. Also, where's our she, our she life coaches? I feel like we're just imagining men as being our life coaches, which I don't even think I would want a male life coach. I think I'd want a female life coach. Oh, I would only want a male life coach. You are so twisted. I mean, I won't get into it because I know you want to – we can talk about that later. But let's yes, unpack that on the Ramona episode as well. Darker thoughts. Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's have an episode <laughs> that's called just Dark Thoughts Unpacked. It'll be great. It will be great. It'll be great. It'll be great. It'll be great. Okay. Read, let's read some reviews. Yeah. So we're going to um, end the episode by reading out the reviews from this week. So if you are officially super bored and don't want to hear what people are saying about us on iTunes, we love you and goodbye. Um, we'll see you next week. Please but if you want to stay tuned, we have had two new reviews this week, which is so wonderful. Chan, do you want to read the first one? I would love to. Melissa Serrano, first of all, she always shouts us out and she's like a stan for us on Instagram. And it's so nice that she wrote us this review. She's great. Her review says, I love this podcast with all my heart. Although I've never met them in person, they've quickly become some of my favorite people. I want to be friends with them. You are friends with us. I would definitely drive them to the airport. I'm sorry I made that point. I guess she'll be friends with you. Or I guess you'll be friends with her. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. No, of course. I love the hilarious stories stories from their childhood and the hot takes on my favorite reality TV shows. I find myself rooting for them as if they were my real-life friends. Like when Chandler got her new job. So proud of you. Or when Lauren creates another iconic meme on their Instagram page. They are the absolute dream team. Highly recommend. Melissa, this is so, so nice. Before I, before I thank Melissa... And I do want to thank Melissa. I'm just going to say, did you did you know that my life has become so pathetic that you got a job working for a global dominating tech company? <laughs> and they're like, oh, like when Chandler gets this incredible job making all this money and like, you know, <laughs> receives all the success. And when Lauren, like when she writes a meme, like she's doing great. Like Lauren's doing great. Like she is going to write another okay. great meme. Lauren, you are doing great. It is not lost on Melissa, the content that you are pumping out. You are driving, you are single-handedly driving our Instagram forward. I'm not actually really. We've actually, we've actually been, we've actually been kind of low-key on the Instagram for the past week or week or two because we've had family in town. And so we've just been more busy than normal. You know what? I wasn't going to say anything, but Melissa, I think you need to take down your review because it doesn't accurately depict Lauren as a, as a member of Pop Apologist anymore. So please redact your statement. Melissa, love you. I'm totally kidding. Um, I love that you're loving the memes and I just adore you on IG and have loved chatting with you. So anyway, thank you so much, girl. Thank you for the five-star review. You're, you said the title of your review is the podcast of my dreams and you are the listener of our dreams. So let's hang out, girl. I couldn't. You don't have to drive Chandler to the airport. I would really like it if you could drive me to the airport at some point. We could just like oh rain gosh. check it. Like, I don't know when I'm going to need it, but I might. Um, no promises. Lauren, I'm rolling my eyes. I couldn't have said I'm rolling my eyes. They're in the back of my head. Okay, we're going on to the next review. Okay. Title, One of the Sisters. I'm here for this. I've been listening since episode three, and they just get better every week. 
hashtag real OG witty banter that has me saying OMG right the whole time. I'm pretty sure I'm another long lost blood so sister living in South Florida exclamation point. This is by IET Clausen. Charlie, do you know who A.T. Clausen is? No. I think she has a cute name though. I like that name. Super cute name. It's always shocking to me when someone who is not like an aunt or something like likes or listens to our podcast. So this like makes my day another listener who we don't actually know in person who isn't doing us a favor by listening to the pod so nice thank you so much ad clausen next time i'm in south florida let's hang girl seriously i would say miami is like one of the best places to be that's considered south florida right i'm not great with geography <laughs> i hope ad clausen is in tampa or south florida or tampa maybe is certainly not tampa is certainly not south florida miami is not. for sure south florida no tampa is like I don't know, more up. <laughs> wow. You, are you going to create a geography course on Coursera? Look. As like a side hustle? Facebook, I Oh, wait, Joanna Bradley, you don't need a side hustle anymore? <laughs> yeah. Facebook, oh my Facebook, my current employer, you don't need to listen to this podcast. I totally know the, the states. I know geography. You know, never eat soggy waffles. I've got it down pat. So yeah. with all that said, Miami, Florida, wherever you are, I think that about wraps us up. I'm off. I think so. I'm off to go make some geography flashcards. Love it. Before we go, we have to thank. We'd be remiss if we didn't thank our sponsor, Mr. Lewis England. Absolutely. Mr. England, thank you so much for your support of the pod. You keep us going and we appreciate your silent donorship. Silent donorship. Love it. <laughs> so weird. People are loving this vocabulary. <laughs> All right. Well, Lauren, I'll Shall give we? you adieu. I'll be her say goodnight. <laughs> Bye. Bye. That's all for now, folks. Don't forget, give us a five-star review. Hit us up on Instagram at Apologists, and we will see you next week, live every Wednesday. Do you ever worry about running out of interesting things to say to friends when you actually get to see them? Then we've got the perfect podcast for you. I'm Eve Yohalem, and each week on Book Dreams, my co-host Julie Sternberg and I use books to explore fascinating questions, like what happened when a Harvard professor staked her reputation on an alleged gospel of Jesus's wife that turned out to be fake? And how did debut author Tom Lynn save the American Western by blowing it to bits? Are pigeons rats with wings or wonder birds? And what's the who, what, when, where, how, and especially why of books bound in human skin? Recent and upcoming Book Dreams highlights include conversations with Booker Prize-winning author Marlon James, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Katherine Schultz, and Merlin scholar Dr. Laura Campbell. You can listen to Book Dreams wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, I'm Emily Beerley and I'm Jennifer Chaikin and we're licensed marriage and family therapists, owners of the therapy group and hosts of the Shrink Chicks podcast. Every week we bring you a new episode where we dive into therapeutic topics like inner child work, dating anxiety, family dynamics, relationships and burnout, making them more relatable and understandable, leaving the psycho babble behind. We address the things you've been dying to ask your therapist but don't know how. 
and work to help you stop shooting all over yourself with the expectations society can put on us. Tune in every Monday to Shrink Chicks on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to follow along and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Prepare to learn all about you because in order to grow yourself, you got to know yourself. 